We have kind of a, a confusing relationship with freedom in our culture today. I know it's a little early, as I, I mentioned in the, the greeting this morning, a, a few weeks ahead of July 4th, but we certainly as a nation enjoy, and rightfully so, our freedoms, particularly those freedoms that are afforded us by our Constitution. And yet, as I mentioned, we have kind of a, a confusing relationship because as much as we appreciate something like the freedom of speech and the freedom or the right to bear arms, especially in our current day and age, those are not without any sort of controversy. Sure, we can appreciate the, the freedom, the right to bear arms, but at what point does that discussion to that freedom that we have and the abuse, rather, of that freedom gone too far? so that people take that freedom too far and we have destruction and we have violence and we have shootings. And we appreciate the freedom of speech that I, I can be up here and, and preach and say whatever I want from, from God's word, of course, without fear of being suppressed or shut down. And yet, that freedom of speech that we enjoy, also, now we recognize if that is abused, now we're suddenly having to talk about hate speech and intolerance, and what you can and can't say, is it really freedom at that point anymore? And so we're kind of wrestling with, as much as we appreciate these freedoms, it's, it's the abuse of them that has kind of led to a confusing relationship that we have with this concept of freedom. And that might be the best way to describe how the people in the region of the Gerizines felt about the freedom that had been afforded this man that formerly had been demon-possessed, and now... By God's grace, through the powerful spoken word of Jesus, he was free. And as we look at their conclusion that Luke spells out for us, it appears that that freedom that he had didn't sit too well with them. We're told in verses 35 and following, When they came to Jesus, they found the man from whom the demons had gone out, sitting at Jesus' feet, dressed and in his right mind, and they were afraid. Those who had seen it told the people how the demon-possessed man had been cured. Then all the people of the region of the Gerizines asked Jesus to leave them because they were overcome with fear. This man had been possessed by a demon. Now he was free, and now the people in that region were afraid. How backwards is that? Rather than rejoicing in his newfound freedom, they felt not only uncomfortable with it, but as Luke tells us, they were very afraid. They too had a, a confusing relationship with his freedom, especially as it pertained to others. And maybe that's where our confusion comes into play as well. See, it's a different thing when we are talking about our own freedoms and our own right to do this or that, but how that freedom applies to others is kind of maybe a, a different thing, isn't it? What is our reaction typically when you hear a, a news story about a convicted criminal, somebody who went through the, the judicial system, was found to be guilty, all the evidence was presented, he was sentenced to such and such amount of time, and then you hear that because of good behavior or some other legal loophole, he gets out early. I don't know about you, but I don't think typically that we're rejoicing that that individual embraced and got his freedom earlier than he was supposed to. Think of the, a codependent relationship 
Maybe one that you've been in or are in. Sometimes as parents with with children in this culture, in this day and age where we talk about helicopter parents, there are certain limitations to freedom or boundaries, almost as if the parent is trying to protect or guard that child so that this perception of control or protection, as long as they're under my roof, I control. But then what happens once that freedom is afforded them and they're able to spread their wings a little bit? Or in a codependent relationship where I need to be needed, now suddenly somebody else doesn't need me as much. I'm not always in favor of that kind of freedom. And even in a spiritual sense, when you hear the accounts of somebody who had led a a pretty shameful, embarrassing life previously and, and wouldn't be shy about that, who now has been converted, who now is a Christian, and we know their track record and we know who they are, it takes us a little while to get on board with the freedom that they have. Somebody like, somebody like that to be free? And so we're comfortable, shame on us, embracing that freedom for ourselves, but not so quick to leverage it to others. And in that regard, we're, we're not unlike the unmerciful servant in Jesus' parable from Matthew 18, who though he had had his entire debt canceled, then went out and he, he wrung the neck of somebody who owed him a pittance by comparison. Now, that is a parable Jesus is talking about forgiveness, But really, when we associate the freedom that we have in Christ with that forgiveness, we too are reluctant to see others as quick to claim that freedom as we feel we deserve. We feel very comfortable being the place of judge or arbiter who determines who does or who doesn't deserve that freedom. Shame on on us for thinking that that is our role to play. And yet to recognize and and, and to appreciate the power of God's word that brought us that freedom, but not so quick to extend the power of that word to give others freedom. And you saw how powerful the word was in the account from Luke this morning. In fact, so powerful that, that when Jesus spoke, the demons had to comply. There wasn't some other option as if they, maybe we will do what Jesus said, maybe we won't. In verse 29, Jesus commanded the impure spirit to come out of the man. And that's exactly what happened. He came out of the man, had to comply because that is the power of God's word. And as we continue this series, God's, power, God's word possesses God's power, this is a great example of that power. Even the demons have to bend to the power of God's will. And not only that, but when we notice their response to Jesus casting them out, we acknowledge something else that they knew about Jesus as well, how powerful he was, how powerful his word was to even send them to or not send them to to hell. And that was what they begged for Jesus not to do in verse 31 after telling them his name. In verse 31, they, they begged Jesus repeatedly not to order them to go into the abyss. They realized Jesus had the power to send them to hell. And they knew how awful that was so that they preferred to be sent into swine, to possess pigs, rather than go to hell. Now, a little side note on on that topic. It's, it's kind of joked about in our culture, especially here in America, where we diminish Satan and hell and, and increasing numbers of even professing Christians don't believe that a real hell exists, don't believe that even Satan exists. 
And some will joke around about how hell's going to be much more pleasant than heaven, filled with all of those hypocrites and singing hymns and doing whatever they do in, in heaven. I'd much rather be having fun in hell with all the sinners. And some would even leverage the accusation that the church, that Christianity has contrived this whole concept basically to hold its thumb on people, to control people out of fear or coercion of going to hell. Behave, shape up, act the way you're supposed to, or be very afraid of hell. Baloney. Don't buy any of those lies. Don't take my word for it. Don't take the official teaching of the word for it. Take the words of the demons themselves who begged Jesus not to send them to hell and argue against that. Hell is very real. Even the demons don't want to be there. Let's stay with this for a little bit because this topic of demon possession is not one that we talk a whole lot about in the church. Why is that? Does, does demon possession still happen today? Or as, as some academics and scholars would say, oh, we're beyond that. That was just trivial, unintelligent thinking back in the day. We realize that that's not really what was going on. Or does it still happen today? Well, why wouldn't it? Only maybe it's just not identified or called the same thing today in our culture. Now, without diminishing or downplaying the very real devastation and hardship that something like mental illnesses have caused and continue to cause, and all of the progress that we have made in a culture where that's no longer taboo to talk about it, we can own up to it, we can talk about it, and we can provide real help to people, is it possible that our comfort level in talking about that has also resulted in us being a little too quick to label everything that we can't explain as mental illness. When in fact, maybe there's more at work behind it. When you interact with, with somebody downtown or on the streets and, and we're too quick to talk up because they're talking gibberish or getting violent or, or acting toward us in a way that just isn't normal and defies rational explanation, must be mental illness, must be drug addiction. School shootings must be mental illness, must be some other influence. Other violence that happens, all these things that we can't explain and we're quick to chalk them up as mental illness. When in fact, isn't it just as possible that the devil is at work in some of those individuals leading to that destruction and that violence? Let me ask you this. Do you think that the devil needs to identify himself in any of those cases? Do you think that he wants to be recognized? Why would we expect Satan to own up to demon possession in a culture that is continuing to, to be irreligious, to downplay spirituality and religion, to downplay talk of God and Satan and hell? Business is good for Satan if our culture doesn't think very much of religion or doesn't even entertain the possibility that it exists. So, so why would Satan need to identify himself in cases of demon possession? He would actually be working against himself. He's got a good thing going right now in a culture that wants to deny any religion. Why would he counter that? We forget that with Satan, it's not a popularity contest. He's not seeking to make a name for himself. Satan doesn't need to be known. Satan doesn't need his TikToks to go viral. All he cares about is that we're paying less attention to Jesus. He does not need attention. He simply cares about distracting others from Jesus. 
and he's very good at it. But in our culture, why would he identify himself and actually establish against the credibility that's already there that so many believe that religion is just a a made-up thing by a crutch for man anyways? Rest assured, though, if you step outside of, of our nation, United States, other parts of the world, other countries that cling to religion, that, that are very firm in their religion, demon possession is very common. It's acknowledged very openly. And it's addressed and talked about as if it's a very normal thing and needs uh, to, to be cast out demons, still needs to, to happen. So in our culture, don't expect it. Satan's happy to work other ways. And he does just that. But what a difference when God's powerful word is spoken. And you see the difference that it made in this one individual. Stark contrast to the reaction between the man who had been demon-possessed and all of the people in the region of the Gerizines. Notice what what he begged of Jesus. Quite a different thing, again, from the community and even from the demons themselves. The man from whom the demons had gone out begged to go with him. So you have the community that, that sees this new man and his newfound freedom saying, Jesus, get away from us. We don't like this freedom. We were comfortable with this evil, with this wickedness right alongside us. We had gotten used to it, but now you've changed all of that. Get away from us. We don't like how things are. And then you have the individual himself who was demon-possessed, who had been freed, and what a stark, different reaction. He doesn't say, Jesus, go away with, from me. He says, Jesus, may I come with you. Take me with you. I want to be in your presence. He knew the joy of newfound freedom in the powerful words that Jesus spoke. And dear friends, so do we. Do not take for granted that you do not live another day of your life in the darkness of unbelief. That you live each and every day in light in life, that you live in the freedom that God's powerful word has proclaimed to you and his grace has worked in you to believe it. To know that you are free from the fear of sin condemning you. That you are are free from the fear of Satan controlling you. That you are free from the fear of death consuming you, and all of this because God's powerful word has told you clearly what Jesus has done about it. By his death, he paid the penalty for your sin. By his death, he crushed Satan's head. By his death and his resurrection, he promises death is not the end. Eternal life is how your story will end. And it's that same powerful word that gave freedom to this possessed man that he then spoke to others. And it's that same powerful word that God speaks to us that he then seeks to speak through us to others. Notice the directions that Jesus gave. You might say, why was Jesus so willing to comply, to oblige when the people in the community said, go away from us, get out of our area? Why why didn't he dig in his heels a little bit more and say, no, I've got more preaching and teaching you? Why was he so willing to go out? Because Jesus knew, here's another amazing thing about his word, it's so powerful that he doesn't even need to be the one to speak it for it to work. In fact, he charged this man to do that very thing. Instead of following him, Jesus commanded him in verse 39, return home and tell how much God has done for you. 
So the man went away and told all over the town how much Jesus had done for him. How powerful do you think the word of that freedman was? You actually don't have to guess because this region comes up in the Gospels again. We're told that that people from this region came believers and, and followed Jesus later on in the Gospels. Why do you think that is? Because it appears that the word that this man spoke to his community, to his family, to others, apparently it bore fruit. And more people were freed just as he had been freed. That same freedom that is yours, God now entrusts you his power, with his powerful word to go out and speak a message of freedom to others. We have a confusing relationship with the, the kinds of freedoms guaranteed to us by our Constitution. Our culture will because sin is always going to muck up those kinds of freedoms and abuse them. But those freedoms do not hold a candle to the freedom that we have in Christ Jesus, the freedom by which we we live each and every day of our lives. A freedom that is guaranteed through the power of God's word to you because of everything that Jesus has done for you. And a freedom that also has attached to it another blessing, the freedom to commit. Forced commitment is nothing but slavery. But I'm not talking about forced commitment because you've been freed. So with that freedom, next Sunday as we gather together again and continue this series, we're going to see how God calls us to maximize, to make the most of that freedom by freely committing to being followers of Jesus. May God bless our message then as he has this morning and bear fruit through us as we speak his word, the power of his word to others. Amen.